Hello and welcome to Bombato, the Scandinavian La Liga podcast, the penultimate Bombato of the season because suddenly out of nowhere we're almost done with La Liga. It kind of crept up on us a little bit with the fixtures being so crammed together. I should say that top flight La Liga season because there's still playoffs to come in August, but that's another story for another time. Alexander Jonsson, how are you, my friend? I'm good. And I, I feel like we've said before that it's a little bit like a tournament, uh, the way it's set up now, but I feel like more than ever right now, it feels like it, because it feels like that, you know, when you're at watching the World Cup, you have so many matches going on, and then suddenly you have one or two days or what it is with no matches, uh, because obviously the teams need to get some rest before semifinals and finals. And it really feels like we're at that point right now and you have this, you know that it's going to be decided in just a few days or in tomorrow basically or the the day after that so or the days after that so it's very close now everything um but you've had so much football suddenly have none but soon like the big happenings is are happening so it, it really feels like that tournament feeling that you have at the end of a tournament i feel so yeah as we recorded on wednesday there are games tomorrow night that could potentially decide a lot of things but equally as as possible that they don't decide it and that the last round of the season is of huge importance for not uh, the top of the table and especially at the bottom of the table. So our idea today is that we're going to preview generally what we reckon the outcome will be and without referring too much to the specific games because, again, so much is up in the air depending on the results. But before we get to that, I guess we should briefly run over something that's already happened in the past or games that have already gone past, in particular to Real Sociedad, who we've not spoken about for a while, actually. I mean, by our standards, I feel like we've been particularly quiet on them. But it's, uh, yeah, bad news. Well, in, in some cases, news or a continuation of news in one case for uh, our two Scandies at uh, the Anoeta. Yeah, they are they're struggling uh, a little bit with, with injuries or injuries that they they've been having. Um, and we had the, the game against Granada where Isaac didn't play at all. And now I can't remember from the top of my head, head how much Adegard played in that either. Uh, and then after, of course, the game in Villarreal, we saw those photos. Um, uh, I actually did a screenshot and put, put it on on Twitter and that got uh, went away way more than I had expected in in the way pe- people reacted to it. But but of uh, Martin sitting on the bench or or in the stands as it is now with eyes on his leg and a re- a face that that just showed you that he he was in a lot of pain. Yeah, we had talked about Erdogan's uh, physical issues already with Isaac. I don't know about you, but it was definitely not something that I was aware of. And when he was, I thought, dropped in inverted commas for the Granada game, I thought it was a really weird decision. I couldn't understand because he was coming into form. We'd been speaking about that a couple of weeks ago. And then suddenly he was gone. But it turns out he's had uh, muscular issues for a while now, for a few weeks now. Uh, from As far as I understand, and I don't know if you've heard anything differently from the people you know over there on the ground, but it's, it's nothing major. It's something that can be managed, but it will have to be managed even in these last couple of weeks of the season. So it's not like he can just go, you know, 100% uh, both games, 90 minutes, as far as I can see. Yeah, no, I, I haven't heard anything more. I, I've been been asking around just to hear out, but there seems to that there is just not a lot of information around it. Uh, so I guess it's it's nothing that bad. Um, but it we we saw him in Villarreal play only one half and get subbed off, subbed off at, at halftime, and it was definitely not because of his performance, because I think he had been the closest one to score two or three times in the first half and it looked pretty good so it's de- definitely some discomfort there from him as well and I think it, it shows again from from Real Sociedad like with the picture I posted of, of Odegaard you got a, I got a lot of replies from Real, angry Real Madrid fans saying that basically Real Sociedad is uh, ruining Odegaard's career by playing him 
uh, while the response from Real Sociedad fans were like, look at this guy who would do this on a club he's alone at, he loves Real Sociedad and blah, blah, blah. But I think the content of, of this is more than anything that it shows that Real Sociedad actually really care about these players uh, and don't want to risk them because we have a Real Sociedad that is fighting for a place in, in Europe that is very big for them to, to gain that and they still decide to rest Isaac for the entire game against Granada, take him off, off at half time against Villarreal, even though he is the one closest to scoring at that, that uh, time and it was a nil-nil. And you have Martin Adegaard still, he's like, after the break, he has not been, I don't think he's played a single full match. Uh, so I think it shows more than anything that, as we said, this is injuries that you can play with. It's about how you manage, how you play with them. Uh, so it's not that you are ruining a player's career by playing him uh, in any way. So therefore, I think it's it's more interesting in the other way that, that Real Sociedad is actually really careful with them and it shows that they care about the, the players and their development more than just about reaching Europe. Yeah, and to be clear, I mean, had this been the typical end to the season that we thought we were going to have and there was a tournament coming up, like a European Championship, then I don't think they would be taking any risks at all with them and then that would be that. It would be we just have to go for Europe without them. But obviously there isn't that issue. There's going to be time off. So they know that, you know, you have to weigh up risk and reward. And if the players feel like they they have something to contribute, the club knows that they can contribute something important, but they can do so in a responsible way, then it makes sense, I think. But yeah, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I think it seems pretty clear to me that they're both going to play a part in these last uh, two rounds of the season anyway, in any case, to which extent we'll find out. Uh, we wish them the best of luck, obviously. But we'll stay on the subject of Real Sociedad because, uh, how do I phrase this? I feel like you're now... Uh, not now necessarily, but your admiration for a young Ander Berenicea has uh, been exposed to the general public in recent days. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if I've ever talked about him on the podcast. I think I might have at some point before. But I think already last season, last season was when he got his, his debut for Real Sociedad when he was just 16 years old. Uh, becoming the second youngest player in, in the history of the club to, to debut for them. And then he scored his first goal for them last season as well against Real Madrid when he was 17, becoming, I think, the youngest player uh, in ever to score La Liga goal for Real Sociedad. And then he, he left the stadium on his bike uh, because he wasn't old enough to have a driver license. So that's a, a, a great anecdote from that like story. Like Jordi Alba. <laughs> exactly but uh, but so already last season like the glimpses uh, you got to see of Baranchea really impressed me a lot uh, in this young kid from a kid that I never heard about before and then this season he's got to play a little bit more he's had some injury troubles but I think he's played in 13 matches to totally um, free from start two of them now after the break but I've seen him a little bit live as well when I've been away and watched Real Sociedad this season and it's like every time I kind of forget how good I think he is until he comes out on the pitch. And every single time I've seen that kid on the pitch, I'm like sitting there like wanting to scream because he is doing so incredible things, especially for his age. But it's like this specific touch, touch especially that he has on the ball, which I think very, very few footballers have is like. To, to make it explainable, understandable, it's like the touch of Andres Iniesta, more or less, when, when he hits the ball, when he does his passes, and it's just like perfect each time. Uh, and then obviously now, when they played Granada uh, at home, he got to play 90 minutes. I think it's the full, first time he played full 90 minutes for, for the Real Sociedad first team. And he was the best player on the pitch, without a doubt. Uh, he's the youngest guy in, in the Real Sociedad squad as well. And it was just everything about it. I, th I don't think I saw him. I, I tried like every time he got the ball, 
I was like focused on him just to see like what what flaws does he have, what mistakes is he doing, or what is he doing good. And I don't think I saw him lose the ball a single time. Um, like every movement felt like he. He, he was doing it like the perfect in that situation. I think it, it was, uh, you know, some players, sometimes you have that that game where everything just works for you. Uh, and that was what ha- was happening with him. Uh, and the thing is, like, I'm I'm a person who love watching these young players coming up and you can see the quality and potential and, and the excitement of seeing a player that, that you haven't heard about before and you kind of feel like you're discovering him for, for the first time. Uh, but at the same time, I think there's there's often comes too much hype around players, especially if they play for Barcelona or, or Real Madrid and you have these youngsters coming on and they have a few good games and then everyone is just overhyping them, which I also think can uh, can in the long term be, be harmful for the players, especially at that young of an age. Um, and it's so easy to do it. Uh, but with Ander Baranchea, there's a few things that makes me very, very optimistic about his career. Uh, first of all, for me, no youth player has or young player has excited me this much since I saw Thiago Alcantara for the first time uh, when he was playing when he uh, in in the under seventeen national team for Spain and in the Euros there it's the same excitement that I got for him I'm like feeling feeling now with Ander Baranchea uh, but in in no it's it's still too early of course but the things that I'm very hopeful and optimistic about him is that. He is a, is a Real Sociedad, and as we've talked about so many times on this podcast, is how it's the perfect club for developing of players. Now, if you have that talent that I think that this kid has, because for me, this is like something special, um, and the potential that I think he has, he will definitely be getting offers and getting the possibility to go to bigger clubs, and at some point he might do. But I think think that he will probably stay at Real Sociedad longer than most players in that situation would because this is a kid who himself is saying, still, he's only 18 years old, but he's saying that his big role model is uh, Mikel Arzabal, his big childhood hero is Xavi Prieto, and his big dream is to play his entire career at Real Sociedad. So he's quite quite sure about that already, but obviously there will be temptations as it's way too early to see. But just that fact shows that he will not run as soon as he gets the first offer. He will probably stay there for a few years at least, uh, give him time to develop. And if you're at the club like Real Sociedad, in comparison to having the same talent, being at the club like Barcelona or Real Madrid, you won't have the same pressure. You will have pressure on you, everyone around the club and in the city they care so much so there will be things like that but you won't have that outside enormous pressure that you get at those big clubs and I think those those things together with the talent that I see in him and also I've been speaking because I'm so excited about him I've been speaking to to people I know in San Sebastian just to like get their feel around him and how he was in the youth teams and they are all like he, he's been doing this since since he came to Real Sociedad when he was 12 years old it's it's no fluke it's it's really uh, a special player so that makes me really really excited about him and I think it's in in a few years we're going to see a very very special player in Ander Baranchea so this is a time for everyone to learn how to say the name Baranchea Baranchea no? Okay, maybe I need to practice. <laughs> <laughs> we can return to that later. I'm gonna ask some Basque people to help. There's me. a syllable in there, Barrenechea. I think so. Barrenechea. Anyway, it's a wonderful um, name, either way. Yeah, I, I actually think I'm trying to recall if he was. Did he play in against Barca at the tail end of last season? He might have come on as a substitute. I, I because, think that's possible. Yeah. Yeah, because I think I was commentating or doing co-coms uh, from the camp now in that game, and I remember just looking at his name on the team sheet and being like, 
Oh, okay. <laughs> this will be tough. Part in the chat. Anyway, yeah. we, we'll return to Real Sociedad briefly in a bit when we kind of talk more about the, the final Europa League spots, I guess. Um, but maybe we should round up. I think, first and foremost, we're not going to touch the title race because it's so much is up in the air with that, even if it seems highly, highly likely that Real Madrid are going to take it. Um, Atletico is definitely going to win. Yeah, exactly. But there'll be plenty of time to talk about that when the results are in in the next one um, and plenty of time to dissect the the winner and loser of the La Liga title race, if you like. Although I guess you could argue there are a lot more losers than just one. But, you know, the closest team. Um, but yeah, the the top four. So the, the two Champions League teams have at least been decided and which order they come has not been decided. Atletico Madrid, I mean, we can really talk quickly about this, but for me, never really in doubt, to be honest. In the long run, they have one of the best squads in the league. They should be finishing there. And especially after the way things went with the Liverpool game, which is obviously the, the turning point in their season where they get that sort of momentum back. It, it, for, I was pretty sure they were going to be fine and they get their basic. And it's a goal that's like finishing in the top four for them is like the bare minimum that Atletico need in their project to make sure that the money keeps ticking over, to make sure they can keep paying their players, to make sure they can, as I saw today, Thomas Partey <laughs> turns out he's not going to go to Arsenal. I mean, shock, shock. Uh, and we'll be getting a new deal from Atletico and probably a, a handsome pay rise and they'll be paying out the bonuses to their players as well, which is all very important. So yeah, I mean, quickly surprised? No, not really. I mean, the only doubt uh, that I had for Atletico was, I think, just after the break uh, when they were struggling a little bit. But then Simeone did a tactical genius thing with Llorente that, they had alre- that he had already tried in the Liverpool game. Uh, and from there on, it's just been a different Atletico Madrid side. And uh, had they been doing that... Earlier, I think we would have seen an Atletico that could have challenged a lot more uh, because there's been a lot of crisp to go towards them during the season. And I think we were a bit too optimistic before the season, most of us, when it came to them because of their preseason. But but in the end, they should be be up there. So it's it's no surprise, really. Yeah, we weren't alone in being optimistic about them, I don't think, after the kind of crazy preseason they had. Um, but another team, now, the Sevilla have confirmed that they're finishing in the top four too, and we'll remain to be seen if it's fourth or third. Um, that's a huge deal, right? I mean, we should establish this. Like, Sevilla are a big club, and they're obviously synonymous with European football, but the Champions League is a, a sort of a goal that they, they achieve sometimes and they miss others. And it's, it's quite difficult for them to regularly string together Champions League seasons. I've not really been able to do that. But uh, it turns out when that guy Monchi comes back, the Champions League comes back. Um, I, th- I guess we should probably like, because it's, it's it's strange, we haven't really spoken much about Julian Lopetegui throughout the course of this podcast. He's a, he's a difficult coach to gauge, I think, sometimes. There are a lot of things I like about him, but I, I find it quite hard to make my mind up whether I, I, I think he's sort of genuinely top class. In the end... One suspicion that I had at the start of the season when we talked about this before, I think, and that we've mentioned before, is that Sevilla is probably the right level for Lopetegui. And that's a very, very good level. It's maybe not Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid level, but it's the next best thing. And it seems like a good match. And he reminds me basically of a kind of Unai Emery type figure who is probably never going to be that sort of top, top, top tier of coaches. But in the next one, and that's still a really hard job to fill correctly, he's probably the right guy and it's worked out. No, but for sure, I, I think you're you're onto something there. I, I think that if you take Real Madrid or even the Spain job, uh, he's not the type of, of coach or person, I think, who likes being in the spotlight. And at those type of jobs, he was very much put in the spotlight in, in a completely different way than you are when you're coaching a team like Sevilla, even if it's a still a, a really high level. It's just how things work uh, around the club and, and with media and everything. 
when you're at Real Madrid, it's so much on you uh, when you're the coach, and especially in the situation with how he came there from from the Spain job, it became so much focus on Lopetegui from the very very first start. While at Sevilla, he can be himself more. I think. I think at Real Madrid, uh, in Spain, at the Spain job, I think he suited him better. But at Real Madrid, I think he couldn't really be himself uh, in the way he had to handle the players, in the way he had to be a coach, in the way he had to talk to media, uh, just the, like how he had to be. Um, while at Sevilla, he can be himself and, and he just feels like he feels much, he, he enjoys it much more at, at Sevilla as well. And, and that's also why, uh, why he's able to, to do better job. Um, I think in the end, he's a really good coach and he could probably, when it comes to coaching wise, have the level of a top club, but it might just be that the situation around a top club doesn't suit him uh, as a person. Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually, that you mentioned about his personality as well. Like at Sevilla, he can be a leader. He's a very strong personality, a really strong character. And at Sevilla, your coach, you want to be the sort of biggest presence there. At Real Madrid, that's as Dan has shown, the, the best approach is actually to allow the, the players a certain amount of scope because that's how they function best. So yeah, that's a really, really good point. By all accounts, he's integrated really well into the city of uh, Seville too. And I think that's made a difference. It's an amazing place. Uh, if no one's been before, they, if anyone hasn't been before, they should definitely go. But it's, you know, just that kind of middle-sized city where it's big enough that there, it feels big in terms of the amount of people that are there. You feel the fan base around you, but it's also small enough that you can probably live a fairly normal life if you're living in certain places. Um, and he seems to have really adapted to the lifestyle over there. And I think he, I saw an interview with him uh, from uh, like maybe last week where he was saying that now he sort of really feels at home there and he feels like Seville, the city, is in his heart. So yeah, it's a match made in heaven so far, it looks like. Shall we turn to the really scary, crazy... God knows what's going to happen, part of La Liga, and that's the relegation battle. Relegation, stop me if I'm wrong, four teams can still be relegated as of time of recording Wednesday. That may not be the case as of time that you listen to this, but as things stand, Leganes and Mallorca, who are both still in the, the drop zone, um, followed by Celta and Alaves, who are both still above it, who would obviously join Espanyol, who we know are already down. I don't even know where to begin with this, man. I mean, it's, it's so much of it depends on... I mean, you look at the fixtures and some teams have better run-ins than others, but then depending on what happens in the, the penultimate round of fixtures, the last round of fixtures may feel completely different. So maybe we should also go a little bit with our gut. What does your gut tell you? What's your general feeling? Well, I think I, I, I have a scenario which is the one I want to and I think that I'm like tricking my gut into feeling <laughs> like that is how it's going to end and that is that Celta and, and Deportivo Alaves are going to stay up and Mallorca and Leganes are going to go down and I think it's going to uh, be a lot to to what happens in, in the first round of games because both Alaves and Celta they are obviously in a better situation because they have more points so they just need a win um, in their uh, in, in the next game and then they are safe. But it's very different situations for them as well, I think, because I think that Celta are in, in a very good spot. Um, they have two fixtures that they should win. Uh, they have Levante and then Espanyol. Um, and they are, they, they, as we've said on this podcast before, they have turned things around. They have got into the right mindset. The only thing that I'm worrying a little bit with Celta is that it feels too safe. Um, and you have that fake security. And that can play and trick with uh, trick your mind uh but like looking at the squad um and how they have actually turned things around so that this squad is now actually able to play somewhat as you expect them to 
uh, and the fixtures they have, they should should do it. Deportivo Alaves, as we said, uh, on since we came back from the break, basically from the start, even though they were quite much higher up in the table than and had several teams beyond them that they're going to struggle. Uh, and they really have struggled. They've struggled more than anyone. I think they've taken the least points uh, since we got back from the break and they looked really, really bad in, in most of the, those games. The one thing and the one optimistic thing I have about Alaves more than that they are actually still above on points uh, is their captain. And that is Manu Garcia, who's for most parts of the season, has not been playing that much this season. Um, we've seen him screaming uh, from the stands now when the bench is on the stands and stuff like that. But against in the game against Getafe, that they the last game they played, which was just a war zone basically, it was a battle for those for that point that they got from that match. And I'm pretty sure that they would not ha- have gotten any point from that match without him on the pitch. He was basically everywhere. And the thing here is that. I think when you have a player that cares so much about the club, like Manu Garcia does for, for Deportivo Alaves, and basically goes out, and even though he isn't, in terms of quality as a football player, uh, at this point in time, uh, good enough to be a starting player, in these type of matches, he's probably going to be your best player. Because he's going to go out there and, and like run until he dies, basically. Uh, and that is the hope I have for Alaves, that when you have a player like that and when you're in a relegation battle, that is often a thing. The attitude can be what uh, the, the difference from going down and staying up. And when you have a player like that and him like because transmitting that passion to the other, the other players, because if you look at the games just before that game against Huatafe, when Manu was uh, in the stand, so on, on the bench, uh, you didn't have that attitude in the team. Uh, they felt like if have felt like there is no will, no no interest or, or anything. But when he's on the pitch, it's completely different. Um, so that is the the little hope uh, that I have for Alaves. But then their their fixtures are really really difficult. They have Betis, uh, which I think is is a must win. Then obviously they have they have Barcelona in the last game, and obviously Barcelona are. Uh, it's it's going to be over for Barcelona most likely by that point. They will have nothing to play for. Uh, if we see last season, Celta got Barcelona at a point like that and, and beat Barcelona when Celta were in the relegation battle. So that has happened before. So it is still possible, but they obviously have the most difficult fixtures of all the teams. So I am really, really, really worried about all of this, but I hope they can stay up. So cards on the table, my first, and again, I'll stand by this and you can all save it and bring it back to me and say what an idiot if I was wrong. Uh, I think Celta are safe. Uh, and the reason I think they're safe is that even if they lose against Levante, I don't, not, not only do I think that they're going to beat Espanyol on the last day of the season, I think they're going to hammer Espanyol on the last day of the season because t- to be completely clear with this, Espanyol's players are broken there's no sign whatsoever that they're going to go out there to try and salvage some kind of pride. I mean, there's nothing to salvage. The season's been terrible and I can't see there being any resistance. And I think a Celta team that goes to play a team like that, needing to get three points and knowing that'll be enough, they'll get the job done. There's enough leaders in that team right now to do it, I think. And the coach is good enough to do it. Then the the, the, the next thing that I'm almost as certain as about is that I'm pretty sure that Leganes are down. Looking at their fixtures, they've got to make up a gap again. They've got to come out of the, the relegation zone, so other teams need to slip up and they need to take the points. Going away to San Mamés, uh, it's, it's already hard enough to take anything from there. And then, okay, it depends what Real Madrid side you get at the end of the season, but honestly, even, and I, I mean this with all the respect in the world, 
even a Real Madrid t- team that's been out celebrating a league title, which they might have been by the time that Sunday comes round and is playing their like second best squad, is still a really big challenge for for Liga. So I'm I'm not optimistic about them at all. The the only question I really have, or the biggest question I have, is like who the who the third team will be. And see, this is where I'm. Mean you and I maybe disagree a little bit. I I genuinely think Alaves might go down. I think to well, I think I'm worried about that as well. Like I, I, I hope, and my my gut is saying is more because I hope that having a Manu Garcia will save you, but I'm I'm really worried about it. So I'm I'm not gonna argue. Yeah, no, I mean, so let's take it from the other side. Mallorca's fixtures are pretty decent. So they got Granada first at home, and then they're away at Osasuna. Now, okay, away at Osasuna, that sucks, but. Osasuna have nothing to play for and they have no fans in the stadium, which is like two really key components to, to Osasuna in general. I I have a feeling that Alabez might get dragged down there. I'd, I'm not convinced that they're going to take anything from Betis, even if Betis' season is effectively all but done. Um, just because it's Betis. They're, they're a difficult place to play any day of the week for any club, let alone one that's in the middle of a really deep crisis that's not had a win for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then even if they go into the, the last game of the season, being able to save it, and even if Barcelona have already lost in inverted commas a league title by then, a pissed off Barcelona side that's messed up their season is not going to want to end on a, a loss to a team like Alaves. So I'm genuinely worried about them. But let's, so that's my cards on the table. So Celta are safe, uh, Liga are down. Uh, Mallorca, Mallorca will survive and Alaves will go down. So you can you can favourite that and bring it back to me and make fun of me uh, when I turn out to be vastly wrong and everything. And Espanol hammer Celta 5-0 in the last game of the season with a Raul de Tomas hat-trick or whatever. I, I can only give you what I expect might happen. And then we'll find out. Like, Let's turn to a, an equally complicated, actually probably an even more complicated matter. And this is the area where I'm even less clear, I would say, about what might happen, which is the remaining European spots. So I'll give you my, my first and only thing that I'm pretty sure about is that I think Villarreal have made the Europa League, which is not hardly a big claim to make when they're the one with the most points out of all the teams that are there. But I think they'll get over the line. They have a, a decent fixture list uh, not including the Real Madrid game and regardless of what happens in the Real Madrid game which may or may not have been played by the time you listen to this uh, the last game of the season is against Abar, I think it is and, and Abar's season's over um, and Abar actually are one of those teams who generally when they hit their target in La Liga they tend to collapse afterwards as well so uh, I, I think Villarreal are done after that pfft. Uh, I have literally no idea. I have suspicions, but I have no idea over who the remaining European teams will be. Are you any clearer about the idea than I am? So if I hadn't looked at the fixtures, which I just did, (laughs) I would have been quite optimistic for Real Sociedad. Because I think that they have, in the last couple of games, played better and better football. Like They're not at the same level, obviously, as they were before. But by giving more chance to even younger players, because their team was already really young, uh, we've seen more than, than who we already spoke about, Barantia, we've seen several players who have stepped up uh, and showed that they, they have things to prove and, uh, and wants to play. And I think both the game against Granada, even if they lost that one, uh, it was a very positive game to watch uh, in, in the terms of how they played and they probably deserved uh, a lot more than they got. And then they won against Villarreal, which is a really difficult match as well. But then if you look at their fixtures, they have Sevilla and they have Atletico Madrid. Uh, and even though their Champions League spots are already done, that's not teams that are just going to 
put out the boots on the pitch. Uh, so, so it's not going to be easy games for Real Sociedad. Uh, and that makes this entire thing very difficult to say who's actually going to, to take. At the same time, Real Sociedad is a team that often play better against better teams. So uh, I still have the hope uh, that Real Sociedad will manage to, to take one of those European spots. When it comes to Getafe, I think they would probably miss out. Uh, but it's really hard to say. But they, they've also struggled a lot after the break. Um, they, as I said before, they only got a point against Alaves, who's been the worst team since coming back from the break. Um, so Getafe, still they have Bordalas. There are so many ifs, they have this, they have don't have this, blah, blah, blah. But I think Getafe will have a difficult. Uh, and then we have Athletic Club, uh, who's also looked quite good uh, lately uh, and starting to re- realize how to score goals, uh, especially Raul Garcia. Um, do we have anyone more that's still in that battle? Uh, Valencia can still get there. Valen- I think, oh, but, Valencia, um, of course. But that one, yeah. Yeah, which we'll come to it. later. But I don't see Granada so, either. Yeah, it's... I say Real. So I say the Basque. The Basque team take more than Villarreal. Villarreal is, is sure for me. Then I say the Basque teams. My, my argument for Real Sociedad is first, I'm not entirely sure how much Sevilla really care now that they've got fourth. I mean, technically they could still get third, but fourth has absolutely been the target for them. Um, and they, they know that still, even to get third, they need Atletico Madrid to slip up. And I wonder if after this crazy-ass year that we've had where players have been put through the ringer, whether really they have any need to go out and, and put out maximum effort. I mean, we always say, OK, players always try their best, blah, blah, blah. But we know it's, there's differences in, in just how hard you try. So I think I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that Real Sociedad take at least a point against Sevilla uh, in the, what's that, Thursday, I guess? Thursday game. Uh, and then... Atletico Madrid, the last game of the season, again, Atleti might have third place wrapped up by then, for all we know, and, and then it's uh, it's game over. So I, I think the, the fixtures on paper look pretty bad, but they, they could quickly turn out to be not terrible, depending on the outcome of the first one, which I guess is not a huge statement to make. Getafe's fixtures, yeah, Levante, the last game of the season, is not a bad one for them. The Atleti one on Thursday is the one that concerns me, because unlike Sevilla, I think getting third place for Atleti really is a source of pride because it, again, is that small thing that separates them from the rest and sort of says, okay, maybe we've not quite been in the title race, but we're still, you know, part of this big three or whatever. And we, we haven't been overtaken in that at least. Athletic, I said it before, so I, and I'll stick by it. I think they'll beat Leganes at least. Uh, they'll take a point from Leganes, but I think they'll beat them. And then by that point, I think the Granada game may 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 not be really worth anything to Granada. So that's by <laughs> where are we at now? So I've decided that Real Sociedad are probably going to get it. Getafe probably won't. Athletic probably will. Yeah, there you go. So Villarreal, yeah. Athletic, and, and Getafe and Real Sociedad. What's also important to remember here is that one of those spots is qualifications for Europa League, right? And one, like, and two is direct uh, to Europa League. I think it is. Uh, so that there, there, I think, as as we said, Villarreal gonna get. Then, then the question is more between uh, Athletic and Real Sociedad, who's gonna get the, the direct spot and who's have to to qualify for it. Yeah, and well, yeah, as we we should probably mention Valencia now. Um, 
I mean, technically, they still could end up in one of these positions, but for those who have not been following in detail, I mean, we spoke about Valencia maybe last week or the week before about how much of a disaster it was. Incredibly, since we last spoke into them, it's become even more of a disaster, which, you know, if you felt sorry for Valencia fans already, like we said before, then you feel even more sorry for them now. Um, for those who missed it, like, there's been a couple of stories going around, one uh, going from one source in Spain and one going from another who are both quite reliable about the sort of list of players that they're ready to sell uh, this summer and some of whom they've already apparently told they're going to sell and like short of selling like the kitchen sink it, they're pretty much just going to sell everything and it, it defies logic i mean principle for me the one that defies logic is that they apparently and this is again from quite reliable people have said that they're gonna they've told danny parejo uh, you're not welcome here anymore basically see you later find another club which i think he will have no no great deal of trouble finding another club if that actually proves to be the case. Not least because we know that a bunch of big clubs have been considering or at least trying to sign him um, for several years but hadn't managed to quite get him. So I think if you're Sevilla and you've got Ever Banega who's done at the end of the season, you might take a look at Danny Parejo and think, oh yeah, we, we're quite good at taking these kind of players and giving them another lease of life. I'll, I'll have Danny Parejo, thank you, who we've looked at a few years ago. What the hell is it's so hard to make sense of any of this? Uh, it's, it's not surprising and yet at the same time it's absolutely mind-boggling. I mean, the only way it makes sense is the fact that it is Valencia. Uh, and that is basically the only thing. But like Dani Parejo for me is the, the things that that guy has done for that club and to f basically throw him away in that way that it's, it looks like they are going to do is just insane. This is a guy who, despite everything that has happened in Valencia over uh, the last few years and all the chaotic times they've been through, has just sticked with Valencia and like been so important in order for the team to actually take results uh, during this hard time and he's gotten so much shit and he's risen above it at time after time after time and he's been struggling a lot with it at times but he's it's, it's a player who's just like never given up on the club uh, and for the club to just throw him away in, in that way it's it's you have no words for it to be honest we, sh we should have probably had suspicions about the the strategy with uh, players last summer when maybe even by the time we started this podcast when you know at the start of the season they've just won the Copa del Rey and the, at the end of the Centenario season everything's quite positive they finished in the top four which I guess a cup and the top four makes it probably the best season they've had since uh, Rafa Benitez days and then suddenly it's like oh yeah we're gonna sell uh, one of our best players Rodrigo to Atletico Madrid and you're like wait what that tells you enough about the, the people who are making decisions there and I, I suspect as well and I said this to someone on Twitter who asked about it maybe that I think Danny Pareco's card has been marked since he stood up for Marcelino and he was one of the real key voices that last season towards the tail end of last season when Valencia's results weren't quite going the way that they'd hoped for there was a few people big voices in the dressing room stood up and said no we believe this guy is going to turn it around and you can't fire him um, and he did turn it around and they got the top four and I reckon that that piece of humble pie probably did not sit very well with some people shall we say um, but it's a real shame because I mean it's a huge club like we've spoken about before it was a huge club who in theory uh, about a year ago even looked like they were or just over a year ago looked like they were back to being where they should be you know competing for trophies regularly qualifying for the Champions League and now it just seems like they're being dismantled once more uh, it's insanity and it's a real pity.
it's just so sad to be honest to to see what's happening with Valencia and it's like every time you think they can't hit more further down they just hit rock bottom uh, again and and further down than rock bottom it's it, it's really sad to see and it's really sad to follow uh, all right, so we got a couple of questions from listeners on Twitter. Thanks to you for being uh, so vigilant and actually putting the <laughs> the questions out in the first place because I'm terrible at that. So I'll I'll let you give the answer if you like. But Akil Rawat, Akil Rawat, ninety seven. If 97 and his name means he was born in 97, that's slightly terrifying. That makes me feel quite old. Uh, talk about talk about what's gone wrong at Real Saragossa if you can. And now, thankfully, Alex made him clarify because if you want to know what's gone wrong at Real Saragossa, that's a very long answer that goes back very many years. But basically, he means the fact that they've their chances now of direct promotion uh, from the Segunda are now pretty slim after a really terrible run of results after the break. So yeah, what's, what's the specifics? Yeah, and to, to explain for those who's not following Segunda, so before the break, Real Zaragoza was a team that looked, I think they were topping. I'm, I'm not sure if they were topping in a second, but I think they were topping. They were the team that looked most likely to take a, a direct promotion to, to La Liga. And then after they've been in this horrible form, uh, they lost against Real Oviedo for the first time at home in 20 years. Uh, I'm very happy about that personally. As an Oviedo, Oviedo missed a penalty as well, right? Yeah, and Saragossa got a really strange penalty uh, at the at the end of the game as well. But they they lost four two to Real Oviedo, and it could have been like basically eight uh, nil. Anyways, so they've been on this really really horrible form, especially home form. But I think what it comes down to is the same kind of things that we have discussed when it comes to to certain La Liga teams that haven't been as good after the break. And it's a lot of different things, but it's a lot in the mind. I think we we talk a lot about the the physical state of players and that with it being so many games in such a short time. But that is also a problem for the psychological part, because if you have a bad game um, and, and things goes against you, you don't have that week to kind of recharge your mind uh, to get into that positivity uh, before you go out for the next game because they are so short and so close to each other. So I think if if you start on a bad run, it's really, really difficult in a situation that we're in right now to get out of that. And I think that is the main thing that has happened to Real Zaragoza and then also physically as well because they have had a, a few injuries and on key players and, and you have several players not being 100% fit. So I think it's a mix of, of several things, but that the main thing uh, is just that psychological part that, that suddenly things are going against you and then it's really hard to turn them around. And then again, this is Segunda División and anyone who watched Segunda División any season, but especially this season, knows that things change very, very quickly. Um, you can go from, from fighting for a playoff spot to fighting relegation battle in the matter of two or one match round. That, that's how even that league is. And, and even at the top where it probably hasn't, it's not as even as the rest, um, it, it's still not a lot that is needed for you to fall from that really safe spot of gaining a promotion to suddenly being uh, having to almost fight to get the playoff spot. Yeah, I think there's something to be said as well about, I mean, most people will know who Real Saragossa are because they're a big international name, but they have a big fan base as well, a big, strong core fan base. Um, they're by far the biggest team in Aragon. They're kind of unique, actually, in that they're pretty much the only big team in their region of Spain, if you like. Um, okay, Huesca have been up in La Liga, but they're, they're a small club and that's they're proud of that and that's the, they're nothing to be ashamed of. But La Romareda is a 30,000-seater stadium. 
And I, I genuinely, I think for some clubs, it makes more of a difference playing without fans than it does for others. Some some teams are used to having a smaller support, so when you take it away, it might make a difference. But I think there's something to be said about the lack of people uh, watching them at home because their home form's been abysmal. I mean, that's been their, their big problem. Yeah, for sure. That is, that is a huge thing. And, and uh, especially since you can see so clearly that they have had problems at home. Uh, and that again comes with the mind that when you have these setbacks, it's easier to get out of them if you go out to a full uh, Romareda that is supporting you and pushing you. Uh, and now they, they don't even have that. So they have these setbacks and they've also, which also should be pointed out, even if it's pointed out, every fans of every club points it out. But I think specifically with Zaragoza, they've had uh, a really hard time with VAR and very strange decisions going against them, uh, especially after the break. Um, and especially in, in really important matches. And I think those kind of things puts on your mind as well. And you start to think that the entire world is against you, even if it isn't. Um, and it just spirals. So, but, but yeah, I think that, that you have a point there that the La Romareda being empty is also a, a huge part for, for Saragossa struggling. Yeah, I mean, we'll come back to the Segunda, uh, the, the Segunda second place and the playoffs as well in our final episode when we kind of round up this stuff. But we should talk about the thing that has already been decided, which is that Cadiz are back in La Liga. Historic, historic Cadiz, a really old team um, with a really, again, loyal fan base. Again, completely undoing everything that I've just said because they haven't apparently been too affected by the fact that there are no fans there. But, I mean, most people seem pretty happy about it. I think you can question some of the celebrations that took place as a result of the promotion given the the situation with the coronavirus but we're here to talk about football um and yeah i mean it's it's, it's good to see them back in the league an historic name it's always good to have a, a historic club back in the top flight oh, they definitely are and it's it's 14 years for them uh, since they return and they've been down in in segunda base so the third division like the i i've been working on on my real oviedo book these days and i've been working especially in the last couple of days about a game between real oviedo and cadiz which was a playoff game in segunda bay in 2015 they were oviedo beats cadiz to go up to to uh, segunda for the for, in professional football for the first time in 14 years so in 2015 cadiz failed to go up in in, in segunda and, and now they're back in la liga so i think uh, it's a huge thing and it's a club that a lot of people in spain like I think a lot of people like it because it means they can go to Cadiz and it's a really nice place to go to and with nice beaches. So when they go and, and see their team away, they can go to Cadiz. But I also think generally it's because of their fans. They have, if if you forget about the fact that their fans went out and celebrated the way they did, which they really should not do in, in this situation, they have really good fans uh, that creates an, an incredible atmosphere and they've been doing that in, in the second division as well. So that's going to be a joy to, to get a team like that back in, in La Liga for sure. The original yellow submarine, uh, depending on who you ask. Um, all right, that's plenty for this week. We will have uh, God knows how much more to dissect in the well, the final episode of the proper season when we come back and have to completely undo all of the predictions and analysis that we've made today. Um, but we'll leave it at that for today unless you have any closing points, my friend. I do not. I think we, we covered the main things uh, today. I think yeah. we, we did a proper job, actually for once <laughs> yep. so yeah all that we have to say is felicidades to Cadiz and we will see you next time so hasta luego hasta luego